And that's something that's that's really important to do in this type of business is to really foster good relationships with growers. And an easy way to do that is to consistently communicate and let the brokers know that you're engaged. But at the same time, don't string them along. You know, if, if a deal's not going to work out for you, just just be upfront about it. Hey, this deal's no good. Or it doesn't work for me. And here's why. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. And today our guest is Omar Ruiz from LaRue Investments. And today we're talking about his process, his strategy for doing due diligence on apartment complexes that he acquires out of state. And we go for, we go through the whole process, right? So he's going to walk you through the whole thing. We talk about his experience starting in real estate as a property manager in 2006, and then building up to today, getting into apartment complexes and all he's done, did single families along the way. So much in here, a lot of information on this one. So if you're an apartment investor, whether you want to do it actively or passively, you need to know about due diligence, both financial, physical, and more. We talk about all of that today with Omar so much. If you're passive investing, you got to know that the people that you're investing with are doing the proper due diligence, right? You need to know what to expect and you need to make sure that they're doing it, right? Because these these due diligence processes can help you avoid a lot of mistakes. And he's gonna talk about some mistakes to avoid in due diligence today too. There's so much value in this conversation. Really awesome, had a great time talking with Omar. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, I'm a real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return. I also invest in apartments much like Omar, and I learned a lot from this conversation as well. Even though we've done apartment deals, right? We can talk with other investors and learn from their processes and grow together. I love that so much. Just as a little bit of a heads up, a couple times throughout the conversation, there's a little bit of a, a noise, I think, from his camera zooming in and out. It's really short. You're not even going to notice it. But when it does happen, it stops in five seconds. So it's just something we couldn't get out in the uh, audio edit. So don't worry about it. It's You're not even going to notice it. Just want to give you a heads up in case you pick up on it. If you do enjoy the show and you're an Apple Podcast user, please take a quick second. Leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys, that helps me get the warm and fuzzy feeling in my gut because I get to see that you're learning from the show, you're engaging with the content, and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. That's what this show is all about, you guys. It's about helping you, supporting you in your escape from Wall Street and into Main Street. No matter what podcast app you use, if you haven't done so yet, look us up, The Passive Wealth Strategy Show. Hit the subscribe button. That way you'll get every new episode straight to your mobile device every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Once again, our guest is Omar Ruiz from LaRue Investments. This is a great conversation. You're going to learn so much about due diligence on apartment complexes, and he delivers it in such an informative way, in a fun way, fun conversation. So you're going to enjoy this one, and you're going to learn a lot. Best of both worlds. Without any further ado, here we go with Omar. Omar, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's been a great conversation. We've been talking for like a half an hour so far. We know a lot of the same people. We have a lot of the same opinions about things, and you've taught me a few things already. But for our listeners out there who don't know about you and your business, can you tell us about what you do? And then we're going to dive into topic of discussion for today. Yeah, absolutely. And th thanks for having me, Taylor. Uh, yeah, I, I, 
very enjoyable conversation here, uh, kicking things off. So what I do with my company, my company is called LaRue Investments. And, you know, we invest in multifamily properties. You know, we do the occasional flip, you know, here and there. Um, but, you know, we're we're a real estate investment company. And sometimes we do our own deals. Sometimes we do deals with other investors. And, and then we also have a, a property management, you know, sidearm. And, you know, having those two things um, helps me kind of see a broad range of the market. You know, I can kind of see what's going on, kind of like the boots on the ground with the management and how they work with the tenants and all that stuff. And then I'm also kind of, you know, and then I also see like the big picture, you know, putting, putting the teams together on bigger apartment complexes and all that. And, and you know, with, with our investments, we're, we've invested in several different states uh, across the country. And, uh, and you know, I, I enjoy, you know, researching, studying different markets, seeing how different markets, uh, you know, fluctuate with changes in the economy how they evolve as, as, you know, populations grow. And, uh, and yeah, for me, it's, it's, I love it. It's an enjoyable business for me. It keeps, it keeps my, uh, it keeps my curious side, you know, engaged. Good, good. And, you know, from the information that I have, I see that you got started at least on the property management side in 2006, which gives you a, a great amount of longevity uh, in this market, a lot more, a lot more experience than uh, many folks have in the market today, myself included. And, you know, can you tell us about that first initially getting started and getting into uh, real estate? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and for me, it was a great time to get involved because I saw the peak uh, prior to the last recession. And then I saw the aftermath, you know, here in the Inland Empire of California, which was, you know, really one of the epicenters of the big subprime debacle. That happened. Um, you know, cities out here um, like Paris, uh, Riverside, San Bernardino, massive amounts of foreclosure and REOs uh, when the Great Recession hit. Now, I was I wasn't actually investing at that time. Uh, me and my partner uh, Jeffrey, uh, he's not he's not with me here on this podcast, but he now he moved out to Texas and he you know oversees uh, some of our properties out there. Um, but we started in property management because we always knew from the beginning how important it is uh, for in this type of business, you know, rental real estate, how important it is to have a good property management operation. Okay, and so we just concluded that if we knew all there was about property management, you know, then it didn't matter whether we're in California or you know out in the Midwest or out in the Southwest. You know, if we if we do contract with the third party property management, and you know, we tell them. Hey, Hey, we, this are, these are the systems and procedures we want you guys to follow. We, you know, we minimize the risk of the management operations, um, you know, uh, causing problems for us when we do go out of state. Now, saying all that, despite all that, we still have issues with management companies. Okay, <laughs> so, it's, so it's not a foolproof, you know, thing, you know. But you know, it's 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 a way to, you know, it's a way that we figured how to minimize uh, mitigate that risk of having bad property management. Um, you know, we have been, you know, we have had to fire management companies out of state and then bring in better companies. Um, so that's how we started. Um, managed a lot of stuff in the uh, Inland Empire. So uh, and we and we invested uh, some sometime in 2009. Um, so we had already been managing properties about you know about uh, three three or so years now. So so we didn't actually start investing like immediately. You know we kind of uh, 
you know, we, we kind of saw the aftermath happen and we just happened to that, that uh, a good deal um, had a Section 8 renter in there, you know, landed on our lap. And the, the good thing about finding that deal at that time is that just prior to that, we were already doing our educating ourselves. You know, so being able to, you know, read a financial statement, you know, calculate what the cash flows were and all that stuff. And so, you know, when when this deal fell on our lap, you know, it was it was just an immediate no brainer because we'd already put the the time to learn what a good deal looked like. Yeah, that's very important. I mean, you you know what a good deal looks like, you know how to uh, evaluate them. And while you didn't start investing in two, until 2009, you did experience the the peak of the market and see it fall and just timed it really well. <laughs> Good time to get started investing in, in 2009. And I mean, fast forward to today, can you tell us a bit about what you're doing? And I also like to break into how that experience has informed your your acquisitions and your due diligence processes today. Sure, absolutely. So so over the years, we kind of started, you know, little by little. So, you know, we started with a little single family. And then our goal was kind of always to to, to double up the amount of units. So I went from single family to a, to a two unit, a two unit to a six unit, six to 13, 13 to 32, 32 to 70. And it just kind of snowballed from there. So, but in the beginning, because um, we were still, the, the economy was still, you know, in that recovery stage. So we learned a lot about how to become really good at qualifying tenants, because back then um, you would come across a lot of tenants that have credit issues, you know, and in the markets that we were investing in, you know, you had to be you had to be flexible, but then also have, you know, have, um, um, you know, kind of counterbalancing um, things to make you feel comfortable with the tenant. So, so for, for example, if, if, if a tenant had like really bad credit, but you know, they they had really good income and they had been at the job for an extended period of time. Okay. Then we can work, work something out and maybe ask for a higher security deposit. So, you know, so there was like counterbalancing things that we had to do there. Then as time went on and the economy recovered, you know, it, it came to a point where it's like, you know, hey, people, you know, we, we could be more choosy with our tenants now, you know, because now people, they had been at jobs for, you know, extended periods of time, you know, credit, their credit was good. And uh, and so we just evolved with the times there. But uh, it eventually, you know, as the economy improved here in California, eventually the numbers just didn't make sense in California, right? So we were looking at deals um, in Texas at the time, and we happened to... Uh, create a really good relationship with the broker. And that's something that's that's really important to do in this type of business is to really foster good relationships with brokers. And an easy way to do that is to consistently communicate and let the brokers know that you're engaged. But at the same time, don't string them along. You know, if, if a deal's not going to work out for you, just, just be upfront about it. Hey, this deal's no good for, or it doesn't work for me. And here's why. Okay. And, and, and that's fine. Sometimes they'll try to, you know, argue with you a little bit, you know, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, it's, you, you know, you, you know where your numbers are and all that stuff, but that's what brokers like to see. They like to see that you're engaged in the deal. You know, especially, you know, me being from California and going going to other states early on, I would get uh, there would be like a, a kind of a, I would notice a little bit of anxiousness with the brokers because they'd be like, OK, well, you're are you one of these flaky California guys that, you know, <laughs> calls me up and I follow up and I'm never going to hear from again. Right. Mm -hmm. So I would have to actually do things to 
just totally avoid that perception. And and I remember on, on uh, one of the deals early on that was out of state, you know, the, the broker was like, well, you know, if, if you know, if we signed the LOI and all that, because I hadn't even seen the property at this point, you know, I'm just, I'm just, just strictly looking at the numbers. It's like, well, if, if we go on LOI and all this stuff, you know, contract, you know, are, are you going to come over here and take a look at it? I was like, yeah, absolutely. So as, as, so, as soon as uh, the LOI was signed and all that, and I knew, you know, it was, it was, it was uh, somewhat locked up. He asked me, yeah, so so when are you expecting to come out? He was expecting me to come out there, you know, in like two or three weeks. And I told him, no, I'll be out there this Friday. And he was like, whoa, okay, this Friday? Okay, great, great. Well, let me make some phone calls and, you know, <laughs> line things up. So, you know, that kind of action you you really have to take, especially when you're going out of state and, and trying to create, you know, really create strong, strong relationships and bonds with these guys. Because ultimately they're going to see that, Okay, if that deal goes through or not, if it falls, if it falls through, that broker still knows that this guy is serious. He's going to come look at the. He's going to really invest his time and energy in in these deals, even if they don't work out. There's going to be one that works out eventually, either way. Yes, and and that's why um, you know when I go, I I try to visit my properties, you know, periodically. And when I do go out, I, I try to make it a point to at least meet some brokers or meet a new agent or, or whatever, just to kind of so that people know, hey, you know, this guy, Omar, you know, yeah, he comes into town every so often. And, and you know, my broker always asks me, hey, when are you going to be back in town? When are you going to be back in town? Blah, 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 blah. You know, we'll get together, go, you know, have lunch or whatever. And, and, uh, and you know, he'll tell me what's going on. He'll actually tell me, hey, there's this deal coming on. He tells me stuff before it's even out there in the public. You know, and, and sometimes I'm actually able to look at some financials, you know, before they even have the OM, you know, uh, finalized. So, so yeah, yeah, um, um, doing what you can to to really create these strong bonds because it, it's it's a people business, you know. Absolutely. Now you scaled up, you got into apartments, started investing out of state when the yields got too compressed in in California. Who can absolutely who can blame me for that? As you're getting deals under contract, you're going out flying to see them and then, you know, actually performing uh, the due diligence on these properties from a distance. How, do you, how, how did you do that in the beginning? And I'm sure your practices have evolved over time. So let's, you know, go through that journey, learn how you got started and then what you do. Today. Sure, absolutely. So, so in, in due diligence, there's, you know, I, I, there's, there's various levels of due diligence. You, you have the financial due diligence. So once you get under contract, that's when you get everything at that point. You know, all the leases, all the utility bills, all the receipts, all that stuff. And and having that that information in a digital form, okay, you don't necessarily need to be on site at that point. So what what we do at that point, we're we're updating our rent rolls, really dialing in our our income, um, and even and even more importantly, dialing in the expenses. And so what I like to do, I like to actually get the utility bills because, um, because you know, when, when you're first looking at a deal in OM and all that stuff, you're just looking at the, you know, the monthly stuff that's going on in there and the utilities. But then once, you, once you're under contract, they're obligated to give you, you know, the actual bills. And so we put all the bills into a spreadsheet and really dial in, hey, what, is, there, is there something going on in here? And I've, and I've seen before where it's like you can actually, there was, I remember there was one deal where the majority of the buildings, I believe it was the water bill, was pretty consistent. A majority of the buildings, but there was one building there. The water bill was just like you know uh, through the roof. There, it was, there was something was not right with that building there, and uh, 
and 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 they didn't even like pick up on it because they were they were you know they it was it was uh, I think it was it was more like a mom, a mom and pop operation you know so they're just you know they're just paying the bills you know they're not really digging deep you know to that level um but that's but that's you know that's the level of due diligence that you can do once you're under contract that financial just really going deep into those you know and also the leases too this is something that that I see I've seen them, you know, s- several times when you're looking at the at the leases. So now you're under contract. You have actual, you know, copies of the leases now in digital form, right? And I've actually found where there's inconsistencies between the rent roll and the leases. Hmm. And some of those inconsistencies may be to your disadvantage, and sometimes they'll be to your advantage. <laughs> so, so let me explain. So, okay. So. I've seen instances where the rent roll will have a certain rent on it, right? But on the lease, it's something totally different, you know, or off by, you know, a certain amount of dollars, right? And sometimes because somebody hasn't updated the rent roll or whatever, the lease may actually be higher, okay, than what's on the rent roll, okay? So that tells you that the property is actually getting a little bit more income than they're actually letting on, right? Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's good. And then, and then I've also seen it before, and this could be to your disadvantage. Where on the rent roll, it may it'll have a security deposit, or it may not have a security deposit, or the security amount may not be accurate. Okay. Now, when you close the deal, security deposit you get credit for security deposits, right? And I've seen it before where rent roll did not have a security deposit, but on the lease there was a security deposit. And so I had to notify them and let them know, hey, you guys don't have the security deposit on your rent roll. And the escrow company is going to use that information to prorate, you know, our security deposit. So you guys need to update that. Okay. So those kind of things, you know, will, will pop up. So, so you know, that's that's the financial, you know, due diligence aspect of it. You know, and then you have the the property now, the building, right? And and uh, that's when you, act, you you actually have to be on site now. And, you know, there's, there's, you, you can, you know, I, I'm sure you could kind of, you know, delegate that from, from far away, but I, I don't like doing that. I like being there on site and, and having that control because, you know, what we're going to do, you know, we're going to have a, uh, a building inspector, right? So he's, he's, he's going to check the major mechanicals and all that stuff. And then we're going to have a roof inspector. Because the building inspectors, they don't, they don't, you know, they can't really give you a, a, you know, hard opinion on the roofs. They can tell you that something looks looks off, but they can't give you the professional's opinion, and that's where the roof inspector comes in. So the roof inspector's going to come in. He's going to tell you, oh yeah, yeah, you know, you got this, you got that, and you know, here's an estimate of what it's going to cost you. Okay, cool. And you can take that estimate, and you know, if it's a major thing. You know, even if it's not super major, you can you can you can probably still use it as a negotiating chip, you know. And then and then you have the uh, the the scoping of the plumbing lines, and this is something I I recommend everybody always do is to is to get a uh, you know a plumber a plumbing company to come in and put a video camera down the drain lines and make sure there isn't any roots any major blockages in there. And, uh, and, and, you know, we did that actually, I, we've, we've done that several times, but I remember, um, a previous property where, um, at the time there wasn't any indication of anything going on. Okay. But when they put the, uh, the video camera down there, sure enough, there was, there was a, uh, a, a pipe that went down this driveway and they found that it was just, you know, cluttered with roots in there. And and it was like on a, on a curve on the driveway, and right at the edge of the curve was this massive tree. 
a massive tree. So the roots from this tree were getting into the, the, the pipes in there and just, you know, so, so, you know, they would, they would have to regularly, you know, blast it out. And, you know, so, you know, I, so then I had to, you know, kind of uh, get an estimate. Okay. Are we going to have, we'll jetty, you know, remove those roots. And, you know, the, the situation was such that we determined then that this is going to be something that's going to be, it's going to be on a regular maintenance, you know, schedule. We're going to on a regular schedule, we're going to have to go in there and just either jet the line or do something with those roots or, you know, because, uh, you know, the, the location of the tree, where it was and, and how everything was set up uh, made it very very difficult to uh to completely remove that tree so um you know so so that's the building side of the, of the due diligence thing you know and uh and, and also like i mentioned before where, where the utility bills there was a water that was sky high you know once once the seller found out about that you know they had to kind of get in there and start you know figuring out okay where's 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 the leak and all that stuff and uh and, and so you got to assemble a team there you know like i said you got your inspector your roofer guy um your plumbing guy um i also always bring out a pest control person um you know, in case there's termites, you know, to, you know, if you got a tent, a tent, the whole building, that can be, that can be expensive, right? So, so, you know, the, the pest control guy. And, and then from there, you can bring out, you know, some other, um, you know, other specialists on, on this last deal. The inspector, he mentioned something on his report that could have been a possible foundation issue. Okay. Um, he didn't say whether it was. They usually they'll just say possible. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So um, and you know, you know, from what we do, you know, things like that have to be disclosed to investors. 100%. Right? 100%. So at that point, I had to hire a structural engineer. Have him come out and give me his professional opinion. Hey, what's going on here? Da, 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 da. And you know, and they and they they said, yeah, okay, this is not a problem. You know, you can do this, that, and you'll be okay. Okay, perfect. But you know, those those are the steps that you have to do to do a proper, you know, building due diligence. Okay, and 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 then from there, then you have the the third level of due diligence, which is really the market now. Mm. Okay. So now at that point, because when you're going into these deals, especially out of state, you're making certain assumptions of the market, right? You know, Taking averages, you're kind of doing a brief survey, but you don't know the super details, the, the block by block type of thing. Exactly. Exactly. So now at that point, you know, you, you, you have a rough idea of what the neighborhood is, you know, maybe you have some demographics of income and all that stuff. But now it's like you're in there. And um, the thing that you should always do, you know, once you're there on site is actually start visiting you know, some competitors out there, you know, hey, what do you guys, what do you, and, you know, go in there pretending like you're looking to rent, you know, nobody knows you, right? <laughs> just, wow. You know, you're from out of state, right? Nobody's going to know nothing. So, you know, it's, it's, you know, hey, so what are you guys renting for? What does it come with? Can I take a look at the unit? And now you have a reference point to, you know, you know, hey, I was planning on doing this kind of rehab, you know, but these guys are doing this and getting this much rent, you know, maybe is, maybe is that the direction to go? You know, if I spend more, am I gonna, is it gonna be worth it? You know, and, and that's that market, you know, due diligence level. Now you're looking at the competition, you know, the neighborhoods, you know, maybe the retail, what the setting is all there and, and, and doing all that, you know, just getting, getting, getting super familiar with the market as much as you can in, in, in that short period of time. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's those things that, I mean, I've had this experience personally. It's that thing where, okay, you don't exactly know this part of town. Uh, it looks one way on Google maps, but really until you get there and see it, you don't know 
how it feels or how it would feel to live there as opposed to a place a mile away, which is not that far in most you know cities. That's you know maybe priced similar similarly, but heck, maybe that place is awesome. It's in a much better neighborhood, but you might not really feel that until you get there and see it. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and and I remember an experience on this particular property where we actually had pretty good data on on the demographics and the incomes in the area and and, and all of that. You know, when we when we finally got there and all that, and 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 it actually really, you know, we actually didn't even realize until until a little short while short while later, we were kind of in, in what I call is is a buffer zone, okay. And so, and what I mean by that is that we were kind of in an area where, where it's like, if right here in this, you know, just as an example, you know, here, you know, the, the incomes and, and demographics are good here. And, and, and we were getting census tra- census data at the track level. So we're like within the block. So we were, we were already kind of really concentrated in our area. But as you kept going into this direction, it got it got really bad out in the outskirts over there, you know, and and so we were we were just we were, you know we were we were in a good area there, but when it came to kind of when when being to to push the rents um, to where we wanted to, it, it was a little bit challenging because we were we were kind of in that buffer zone where it's like people that already lived there they kind of had a uh, um, you know they they. I guess it was kind of a little bit of a stigma, even though we were in the, in the good part of town, you know, because we were just in that general region, you know, um, it was uh, it was a little bit challenging trying to trying to push up the rent. So we had to kind of like bring people in, adjust our rents, then, then bring people in. And then after a while, we were able to, you know, push rents with renewals because now and, and you know we were in a great location we had a supermarket across the street you know um, also tons of retail around us um but you know just because that general region had that stigma um, we had to wait until people actually came in at a, at a at a little lower rent they got comfortable with the area they stayed with us and then we were able to push up rents with renewals mm, absolutely so you were telling me before we hit record about an experience you had kind of right around when when COVID hit and there was some due diligence uh, with it. 1031s and due diligence matters involved. And I think it the story from what I gather um, speaks a lot to the power of persistence or, you know, if I was in your shoes, I would call it stubbornness. I'm just stubborn. That's why I push through <laughs> and don't give up on stuff. But I wonder if you could tell us about that experience because you'd, you'd done due diligence on this one property, as I understand it, and then something changed. Yeah. So tell us about that. Yeah. Okay. So this was during 2002, you know, the and and we were under contract on this. I had just sold a property. 2020, last year. Two, yeah, 2020, yeah, okay. 2020. Just want to make sure. Sorry. Yeah, sorry about that. 2020, I sold a property in February. I believe the date was February 24th. Okay. And if you can recall back then, <laughs> you know, COVID was still kind of, you know, under the, you know, not, not big news. You know, it was, it was, it was big kind of in New York and San Francisco and I think maybe even Seattle, but it wasn't like, you know, all over the place. It's so funny how it seems obvious now. How could we not see it at that time? But hey, what do you know? Anyway. <laughs> yeah. So nobody, nobody was thinking anything at that time. Right. So sold, sold the property. And, and uh, I mean, wow, we, we got, we got really, really uh, fortunate selling it when we did, um, because what happened not too long after that 
was that the the agency lenders, which is Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, they instituted what were called COVID reserves. Okay, and COVID reserves um, required the borrower to put to uh, fund upfront a year's worth of mortgage payments. I mean, and that's you know, in, in these deals, that's like hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's oh, yeah. it's big money, you know. So we were under contract already on a deal. This was a deal that was out in Ohio. And I mean, and, and this just happened. This was just like real time. You know, I'm talking to, I, I had already, like you mentioned before, I was already done with all my due diligence, mm-hmm. all that work, you know, uh, scoping the plumbing lines, had, had the roofs. And this, this was a portfolio deal too, you know? So these were like buildings scattered all throughout town. So a roofer going to like, you know, five different buildings, Pricing. inspectors. Yeah just going through all these buildings and then the plumbing guy scoping all these different <laughs> drain lines. Oh man. So I'd already, I paid all these guys, you know, spent thousands of dollars on the, on the dude. Everything was done. The deal, the deal, the deal was done. The financial due diligence was done. A lot of work went into that. The, um, the property due diligence was done, spent tons of money on that. And then, and, and that's when I, my lender who, you know, great guy done, done several deals with the guy, many deals with the guy, you know, he, he tipped me with these COVID reserves. Hey, here's, here's what's happening. And, you know, and unfortunately I'm having to tell a lot of, you know, borrowers, you know, at the 11th hour, there, there was people like, I was fortunate. I was still in my due diligence period. So I still had time to get out. Mm-hmm. Okay. But there was people Taylor that were already closing. Okay. They were like days away from closing Okay. And all of a sudden, <laughs> yeah. And and these COVID reserves just like, you know, hit, hit with people. And he was telling me, man, I'm telling all these people bad news. And I was like, oh my God. Okay. So we went back to the seller and said, hey, you know what? Here's, and he knew about this stuff. You know, he's an, he was an experienced guy. He knew what was going on. Um, he understood. And, and, and this is an important lesson too. I said it was a portfolio deal. He had done several partnerships with each each individual building. So there was like three or four LLCs comprising this whole thing. So, you know, several investors, many investors involved in this deal. But on one of those properties, okay, and 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 he told me, he said, Yeah, Omar, I, I messed up on this. It was it was one of his first first partnerships or, or syndicated deals where he wrote the operating agreement in such a way that in order for the partnership to sell the property, they had to get unanimous decision from all the partners. Okay. Oof. Yeah. And it's not going to work. It's not going to work, you know, because some guys want to sell, you know, some guys may not. And it's hard, you know, you, you know, in, in these situations, you have to have like one guy, you know, leading the way and making the decisions, you know, and, um, and unfortunately, you know, you know, when you start off, you, sometimes you tend to give away, you know, too much. And and I think that's I think that's what the guy did. And in I this case, it, it was kind of the opposite. They had one guy making the decision because they couldn't get a unanimous decision because one guy didn't want to yeah. sell. Yes, exactly. So the one guy and like I told you, there's like four or five partnerships here. Everybody else was on board with the sale. They were ready to, you know, sell it up. But this one guy, one guy, the whole group, um, you know, didn't want to didn't want to renegotiate. 
through like okay cool hey man you know we tried um you know and you know we we ended amicably you know I, I was able to get my earnest money back and all that stuff but i'm still out of pocket all that all those due diligence costs paying all those guys right you know flying out there too all that time and all that um you know doing all that and and this was a time when uh you know early covid where you couldn't even get a mask you know <laughs> anywhere uh, we had to go into like an auto parts i think we went to an o'reilly's or something to get we at least got gloves <laughs> you know so 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 it was like that but now after that experience now we knew when we were doing our underwriting okay we have to factor into now these covid reserve now wh- one thing that did help us out because of the whole covid situation is that the irs did allow people in 1031 exchange that's what we were doing we were doing a 1031 exchange ourselves and so they extended the identification period for people that were in the middle of a 1031 exchange. So that really helped us out. So now we had, I think we had a couple more months now to identify a property. Um, the closing period had not changed. So we still had to close within that time schedule. Um, and I think the same thing happened to somebody else on another deal because we, um, uh, you know, my my acquisitions guy, you know, he found a, uh, you know, these uh, these brokers in a different area um, and their deal had fallen out of escrow. Same thing. So we were there and it was a good deal. And we tried to see if we can negotiate on the price, um, but they, they were kind of firm on the price. So we said, hey, heck with it. You know, let's get this thing done. Lock it up. Uh, we don't have a whole lot of time to screw around here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the numbers look good. So there, there was no issue with the deal. Um, so that extension of the identification period, you know, allowed us to, you know, get this deal, move forward with it, you know, close it out and, uh, and you know, go, you know, go through another round of due diligence now. <laughs> the same thing, you know. Get the people involved over there, check the financials and, you know, all the stuff I just described before. And 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 it worked out great. It, it actually I think it actually worked out better for us because we, we got it at a better price per unit. It's it's closer to, you know, my operations here where I'm at. It's also in the same state where my partner Jeffrey lives now. So I think all in all, I think things really lined up for us, you know, to, despite, you know, despite the hurdles and all that stuff, you know, it's, it's, it's like you said, you got to be persistent and uh, maybe, maybe stubborn. <laughs> I go for stubborn, but the first one was 130 something units. And then the the one you actually closed was a hundred. Yeah. 103, 103. Yeah. Okay. Now, as you were talking here, it kind of struck me that I wonder if the one guy who held out and said, we're not selling, you know, on their side, if that actually worked out better for them, because in reality, you know, property values have continued to go up. I mean, do you ever, do you ever think about that? That struck, yes. struck me right now. Yeah. Yeah. I, d- I did actually reflect on that. Um, you know, they, they eventually did wind up selling the property. I don't know exactly what they sold it for, but if they sold it, you know, um, leads me to believe that they probably stuck to the original price that, you know, where I was at, you know, versus, you know, the discounted price. I'm, I'm assuming so, but, but yeah, I, you know, um, I talked about it earlier, you know, in the early COVID period, you know, around May, April, you know, everybody out there was predicting, you know, a lot of doom and gloom, sure. you know, massive evictions, massive foreclosures, the market, real estate market was going to tank and all that. And, you know, here we are, and it's the exact opposite. You know, <laughs> People are just 
oh my God, how much they're overpaying for properties and how much they're like overbidding. You know, I hear in houses, you know, they're 100, 200,000 over asking price. You know, it's like, I don't care what anybody says out there. I don't think anybody knows what's, <laughs> what's going to happen here in the future. You know, it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's craziness. And, and, you know, but us as experienced investors, you know, we have to be, this is where guys like us that really got to be on top of our game, you know, because uh, it, it, it can be very tempting to overpay for stuff. Um, but, you know, the, the numbers are the numbers and, uh, you know, you have to be very, uh, just just very diligent with 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 your work you know and and you know just looking at the numbers and then you know making sure that you're not getting caught up with the crowd you know what i mean Absolutely. And I've heard a lot of folks say that they think over the next few years, this current market cycle, really the folks who are going to do the best are really the best operators, the people who know how to really manage and deliver. It's not going to be, you're not going to just going to succeed in the future because cap rates are falling and, you know, your property is magically appreciating. How much lower can they really go? It's a big question. And uh, I don't know. Uh, all I expect in the future is for the money printer to keep running at the Federal Reserve until that doesn't work anymore, until that runs out of ink. But that is a top for another day. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Have you ever wanted to invest in the private lending and debt side of real estate? You might find that going out and finding borrowers on your own is tough. When you find a borrower, you have the task of evaluating their plan all on your own. And the traditional way of lending private money highly concentrates your risk because you'll probably be funding the whole rehab loan on your own. That meant writing loan checks well into the hundreds of thousands of dollars, placing a lot of risk in individual borrowers and properties. Not to mention, there's a lot for you to know in terms of how to structure these loans so that you can help protect yourself and work with the borrower in your interests. Now, there's a new way to invest in the debt side of real estate that turns the private money lending space on its head. You can invest in a variety of debt instruments with this new platform with as little as $10 in each opportunity. You can diversify your investment across a wide variety of borrowers, geographies, and asset types. This new platform is called GroundFloor. They make it easy to invest in either your name or using your self-directed IRA. And if you don't already have a self-directed IRA, don't worry. They make it easy to get started and get one opened. Go to www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash GroundFloor to get started or click the link in the show notes. See the ground floor site for full terms and details of what they offer. Once again, that's www.passivewealthstrategy.com slash ground floor, or click the link in the show notes. Back to the show. All right, Omar, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Let's do it. All right, great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? The best investment that I have ever made, um, well, I would say just in general, the best investment would be surrounding myself with good mentors. Now, I remember one of my early my my early partners, um, you know, he was a guy with a bigger portfolio than me. And, you know, he would he would send me deals that were kind of reposition type deals that were, you know, reposition deals are, are, are very tricky to underwrite. And so he kind of gave me some guidance as far as how to, you know, don't only look at it as how it is right now, but then, you know, also project, you know, what is the performer going to do? What is it going to do moving forward? You're not going to operate it, you know, the same way, you know, the guy who has it is now, you know, you're gonna, we're going to, 
you're going to do something better with it. So, um, you know, definitely, uh, you know, surrounding me with with uh, knowledgeable people, people smarter than me. Um, I, w- I would say that's one of the best best investments that, that I've done for myself in business. Love it. Well, we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Oh, the worst investment I would I, I made was, I believe it was the second commercial deal. Now, it wasn't a big deal. So um, luckily, it didn't knock me out of the game. But it was on a 13-unit, well, relatively speaking, because we still came out unscathed. Um, but, I mean, it was just not verifying the deposits from the rents. Okay. So when you take the the seller's financials at, you know, just at face value, they're telling, yeah, oh, yeah, we're getting these rents. This is the rents and all that stuff. Well, the only, the way to verify that is that you have to actually see bank statements, you know, and verify that money's coming in there. Okay. And that taught me a great lesson because, um, you know, we struggled soon after we we closed on that deal because all, you know, we're, we're expecting this, you know, people, you know, rents coming in and all that stuff. And holy moly. You know, majority of the people here are paying the rent. Oh my God, we're gonna have to. And, and, and sure enough, I think we, Taylor, I think we evicted everybody there except for the one Section Eight tenant. Uh, wow. <laughs> so it was crazy there, but but you know, but uh, um, on the flip side of that, you know, a deal that a deal that were were actually did wind up, you know, losing money was a, was a flip deal out in Houston, Texas, and you know, it, it was a bad deal for us because um, you know we we didn't do our valuation properly. You know, it. it uh, you know, when you're doing, when you, and, and this is more on the residential side of things, but when you're doing comps, um, you, you, you really have to get, you know, as close to the neighborhood and to the similar property, you know, because if you're bringing in comps from like, you know, other neighborhoods, surrounding neighborhoods, it's, it's, it, it, it doesn't work. You, you can, you can be next door to like a really great neighborhood, but you know, if you're on the other side of the tracks, you know, you're not, your values are not going to compare. And then, so this particular property, you know, we, we just over rehabbed it and then we weren't able to get the value on it. And so we just, you know, we just had to, you know, discount it, sell it off and, and get it off the books. Wow. Well, an important lesson. And that leads to my favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Uh, uh, one of the most important lessons that I've learned, um, this is this is more, you know, kind of being a leader and, and, you know, having your team and all that is, is you know, to be calm and to just be a focused leader. Um there's always going to be challenges in this business, in, in any business in general. There's going to be challenges, you know. And but people want to know that the guy that they're, you know, following, you know, is going to be calm. You know, you're never going to be perfect, okay? But they like they like following somebody that's calm, that's focused, and that you can also um, adjust to the situation. You know, I explained earlier about those COVID reserves and. You know how you know we had to adjust our underwriting to take those into into account. You know you you you, you need to make those adjustments. You have to you have to be uh you know there's a there's a term out there they say that uh, you have to be uh, comfortable with being uncomfortable. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um and and you know there's 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 a great book here. I remember uh you know in fact I got it here. This is a great book. It's called uh, Patent on Leadership. Uh, you know George C. Patton. You know he was the uh, commander of the uh, the Allied forces during World War II. And in the book, he talks about, you know, when he's getting information from his from his guys on the ground, his boots on the ground, you know, and, and it's, it's really cool the way he says it, because he's like, you know, the information you get, it's it's never as good as they tell you it is. And it's never as bad as they tell you it is, you know, and and, you know, over the years like that, that always really kind of stuck to me, you know, because if, if you kind of if you take things in like that. 
you can take things in, especially bad news. You know, if somebody tells you bad news, you know, you know, you tend to get anxious and all that stuff. And, you know, oh, my God, what's going on? You get nervous and all that stuff. But, you know, you know, maybe, maybe what they're telling me is not as bad as it is. You know, maybe it is bad, but maybe it's not as bad as it is. OK, let's find out more. And then you find out more and, you know, you, you, you come, you're, you're eventually going to come to find out, hey, there's a solution to the situation. And, Absolutely. You know, and, and it's just a great way to, you know, be a calm, focused person. And keep your keep your head on a level. Well, Omar, I want to thank you for joining us today. Bring us so many awesome lessons. Fantastic discussion prior to the interview and fantastic discussion during the interview for our listeners out there who want to find you on the internet, want to get in touch, want to learn more about your real estate investing business and everything else that you're up to. Where can they track you down? Uh, the best place is my website and the website it's larueinvestments.com and larue is spelled l-e-r-u followed by investments.com and my my bio's on there my email's on there and that's you know you can there's oh, in fact in fact my i have a blog in there i have a, a monthly blog on there that you know people can you know that that i write myself personally okay it's not some va out in the, <laughs> who knows where that's you know copying and pasting this it's it's actually from 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 my stuff so nice well everybody that is interested should certainly do that i've had a great conversation with you and i'm sure anybody else that tracks you down would love talking to you as well to everybody out there i want to thank you for tuning in if you're enjoying the show please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me the warm and fuzzies because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street Casino along with us. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Thank you for tuning in once again. Have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.